have you ever gotten in trouble for something you didn't do? Ever been falsely accused of something that not only did you not do it, but the one who is accusing you is the one who did it? Ever been frustrated because the people who are supposed to do something about it don't? Do you breathe oxygen? (laughs) Clearly, we have all faced injustice in life and do so on a regular basis. Jesus Christ faced the greatest injustice of all time, taking upon himself the fullness of God's wrath for all the sin of the saints, while also crediting to us the fullness of his righteousness. He takes all the blame, we get all the blessing. The book of Acts is the witness of the early church to the good news of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And beginning in chapter 21, the apostle Paul returns to Jerusalem to share a report of all that the Lord has been doing in the spread of the gospel. Some, praise God, some want Paul dead. The shocking injustice that we see in the closing chapters of Acts is exceeded only by the sovereign grace of an incredible God. Let's go to that God in prayer as we come to his word together. Our Lord, as we have worshipped in song, we now worship in study and to delight in the study of your word, to know you as the God of revelation who reveals yourself to us. And so we pray that your spirit would come now to bear witness to the reading and to the preaching of your word, that we would hear it for what it is, your word, to hear your truth and for your truth, who is Jesus Christ, to set us free. To that end, as always, we pray for the preacher, knowing that he is not worthy, but by your grace, he is able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, throughout Acts chapter 21, uh, and even before that, there has been warnings to Paul not to return to Jerusalem. Paul, though, has been compelled by the Spirit knowing what is to come. And so we pick up at Acts 21, verse 27, and begin to hear exactly what it was that the Spirit said was going to take place. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and it ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. 
when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting away with him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. In this passage, there are five groups of people. The ringleaders, the crowd, the authorities, the target, and the silence. We first see the ringleaders in verse 27 that begins, when the seven days were nearly over, that is the seven days for the purification ritual, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. Who did it? Some Jews. Not all the Jews. It was some Jews from the province of Asia. That is, some Jews who were from Ephesus. It's a couple chapters back in Acts chapter 19 that we read about Paul's ministry in Ephesus and then the riot that was started there. The crowd that tried to kill Paul because his preaching was affecting the silversmiths who made idols for the goddess Artemis. It was the ringleaders, a ridiculously small minority. Sometimes it's just one person. Sometimes maybe a handful. In other words, everyone is not doing it. It is often a very small minority who uses others in order to make it seem bigger than them. Everyone is not doing drugs. Everyone is not having sex outside of marriage. Everyone is not a fan of the Game of Thrones. All men are not pigs. All women are not female dogs. It is one person or a couple of people who are simply effective at getting others to follow them. It's the leader of the bullies. It's the leader of the mean girls. It's the leader of the troublemakers. A friend of mine manages several groups of people as part of her work, and there was one group that was always in chaos, that was always in conflict. And it turns out that the group was being influenced by one person, who was constantly complaining that they were being given too much work to do, which they were not. She just simply didn't want to do anything. Well, the woman's name was B, and the others, in fact, began to call her Queen B, because she was the clear leader of this dysfunction. Well, my friend went to her HR department to figure out how to handle it, and they said that there needed to be two clear documented failures on Queen B's part before any action could be taken. And there needed to be documented failures within a 60-day period. Well, Queen Bee also knew that that was the rule, and so she was careful to count the days. And so if one day she decided not to show up for a project because she just wanted to hang out with friends or go shopping, she would count and make sure it was 60 days before she did such a thing again. It was years before there was finally enough documented evidence that HR finally had caused to fire her, and she left gloating about how long she'd been able to get away with it. Ringleaders are scoundrels. Sometimes they know it, sometimes they don't. They are narcissistic and often too self-centered to realize the damage that they are doing. Power mongers who are sure that they are right. 
some Jews from the province of Asia were sure that they were right. They are not right. In fact, they assume. And you know what happens when you assume. That's right, it makes hypocrisy and false accusations happen. Verse 29 tells us that they assume Paul had brought the Greek, the Gentile Trophimus, into the Jewish-only temple area. Paul had not done that. Notice that they go after Paul and not Trophimus. Verse 28 tells us that they assume Paul is teaching against the Jewish people law and temple. He is not. Notice the exaggeration. Paul teaches all men everywhere. Assumptions are a big part of being sure that you are right. And one of the things that you assume is that everyone is doing this. You see everything through your own grid. You're sure that everyone else does the same thing, so you simply try to make sure you have more power. A ringleader needs a ring to lead. Typically, the ringleader does not see what they are doing is wrong because the sinful exaltation of self brings blindness. And we are blind to our own blindness until we hear the gospel. The only way to remove blindness is by the gospel. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The work of the Holy Spirit is not about empowerment. It's about illumination. The Holy Spirit helps us to see and to see our blindness, and we repent in humility, realizing how wrong we were. And so that's the ringleaders, and what they stir up is the crowd. Instead of getting into the facts, some Jews stirred up the whole crowd. And here we go again with the mob mentality. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the mob mentality again and again. Paul goes into a village, a town, into a city, and many hear the gospel and believe the good news, and their lives are changed. But those who stand to lose power and influence stir up a crowd of people to their side. And so here's the thing. The crowd is being used. The crowd isn't losing power and influence. The crowd is being used by those who see a threat to their power and influence. Look again at verse 34. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, which sounds just like the riot in Ephesus that we read about back in Acts chapter 19, verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Why is there shouting different things? Well, a couple weeks ago, when we looked at the passage, we observed how this same phenomenon happens on social media all the time. Someone writes an article or posts a statement, and the comments begin, right? One person misunderstands and misrepresents what the article was about, and then the second person misrepresents what the first person was saying, and then people start calling each other names, and then everyone starts to chime in about their own personal issues and how it connects to whatever. And then someone else comes in to correct everyone's grammar and spelling. That's what happens in social media, right? Within minutes, you don't even remember what the discussion was about in the first place. And the longer the comments go down, the further afield it is from what you started at. Well, verse 30 tells us the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. The whole city from all directions can't possibly know what the issue is. People come running because people come running. Oh, look, something's going on. Let's go see. In the movie Men in Black, 
Will Smith's character asked Tommy Lee Jones' character about why the men in black can't simply tell everyone that there are aliens living on Earth. And Smith says, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. To which Jones replies, a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. So let me, let me say something incredibly important. The church of Jesus Christ is not a crowd. The church must not be a pack of dumb, panicky, dangerous animals. We are to be redeemed, wise, thoughtful Christians. It was in 2004, while I was still serving in the mainline Presbyterian church, that I was a commissioner to the General Assembly. And about 20% of the overtures had to do with changing more of the doctrines of the mainline church to something other than biblical doctrine. But 80% of the overtures were making statements to Congress. And I realized the mainline Presbyterian church had been turned into a political lobby. There are other cult-like churches with a leader who attempts to stir up their crowd, to show up in mass at a courthouse, to chant and bring signs, to be a crowd, an angry mob. And it is tempting to do those things because we see how a stirred-up crowd can be effective in affecting change. And so Christians, even whole churches, too often attempt to model the world's methodology. But there is another way, and the book of Acts shows us this. We aren't stirred up by a ringleader who is trying to gain power and influence. We are stirred up by the triune God who already has all the power and influence. When Paul stands to make his defense, he doesn't stand as one who serves a mute, impotent God, but as a representative of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God over all. So why is Paul arrested? when it is the crowd who is rioting? Why are the rioters not arrested? Well, because we know the people who are wrong, who cause confusion and chaos, are rarely the ones who get in trouble, which allows them to keep doing it. And that takes us to the authorities. Why doesn't someone do something about this, right? Why doesn't the teacher, the principal, the manager, the CEO, the pastor, the session, the president, the government, why doesn't someone do something about this? Well, they do something, but let's look at what they do. Verse 32, he, that is the commander, at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. Now, the word that's translated in the NIV as officers more specifically refers to centurions. And a centurion was the leader of a hundred soldiers, century for a hundred years, right? And since it is plural centurions, that means there are at least 200 soldiers that come onto the scene, possibly more. The commander, by the way, is a commander of a regiment. He's a commander of 10 centurions, 1,000 troops at his disposal. And so the commander brings an overwhelming show of force to quell the mob. That is an appropriate action. But what follows isn't. Like the adult who steps up to stop a fight, the manager who steps in to deal with a dispute, but the real situation never truly gets addressed. A ceasefire is not peace. Disbursement of the crowd is not solving the problem. It is superficial just to want to stop the shouting but not deal with the heart because dealing with the heart takes time. 
It gets messy. But not all authorities are equipped to address the hearts. This is the expert work of the Lord and the Lord's people. And so first, we must admit that we tend to be superficial and struggle to let the Lord fully address our heart. We want the Lord simply to stop the chaos, to stop what other people are doing, to stop what is happening, not really to address our heart or our heart's reaction to what is happening. And so when we ask, why doesn't someone do something about this? What we're really asking is, why doesn't the sovereign God do something about this? And then we remember that God did do something about this. He sent the eternal son of God to accomplish redemption in its fullness, which is now fully being applied by the Holy Spirit in and through Christians so that we are instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. So when we ask, why doesn't someone do something about this? It turns out that the real question is, why aren't you doing something about this? As instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. And that's exactly what Paul does as the target. Paul is the target of the ringleaders the crowd, and the authorities. But Paul is also the target of God's providence. Having been falsely accused, having just been beaten by a mob who were seeking to beat him to death, having just been bound with two chains while dripping in blood, having the crowd shouting away with him, really what they're shouting is kill him, Paul does not go into tirade. He doesn't begin ranting. Verse 37, Paul turns to the commander and says, May I say something to you? May I have your permission to speak? Everyone else is shouting and in chaos, and Paul politely asks if he may speak. The commander is blown away, in part because Paul speaks Greek. Acts 23 is going to reveal that the name of the commander is Claudius Lysias. That first name, Claudius, is a Roman name and may have been simply to honor the emperor Claudius. But the second name, which is probably his given name, Lysias, is a Greek name, which likely means that the commander is himself of Greek origin. And so Claudius Lysias is surprised to discover that Paul is not an Egyptian terrorist, but an articulate, well-educated, Greek-speaking Roman citizen, just like he is. Authorities and those who sit in judgment, even the crowd, will make assumptions until they learn the facts and the truth. If we act the same way the crowd does, ranting, then we will not be heard, and it will be assumed that we are simply a ringleader of a different crowd. At my worst, there are times in which I have responded to injustice and false accusation and attacks with a frustrated rant, and I can tell you that it gets you nowhere. The right response is to set ourselves apart, to be set apart, to be holy, and to speak differently than the situation would suggest. Imagine the commander's surprise to find out that Paul was in fact a Jew being attacked by fellow Jews. He assumed that Paul was an enemy of the Jews, but comes to find out that he was one of them is shocking. We will be attacked by our own fellow human beings, fellow citizens of the community, Students attack other students. Employees attack fellow employees. But we are not the enemy, even if we are treated as such. 
And so we must not respond as the enemy because we're not. And so Paul asks for permission to speak to the people. Notice that Paul does not ask for the authorities to speak to the people. Paul does not ask for the authorities to get to the heart of the situation. Paul asks for permission to do it as God's instrument. May I speak to these students who are attacking me? May I speak to the employees who are attacking me? May I speak to the group who is attacking me and falsely accusing me? The group, the crowd is being used by a couple of ringleaders. The group, the crowd doesn't have the facts. The ministry is bringing the facts of the gospel to the crowd, which includes the ringleaders and the authorities. And we bring that gospel in the facts of word and deed. And that takes us to the last group in this passage, the silent. Where are Paul's friends? Where are the Jewish Christians? Where is the church of devoted disciples of Jesus Christ? We want someone else to do it because it's easier to throw the stones at others who are not doing what ought to be done than to be involved in applying gospel wisdom ourselves. In order to apply gospel wisdom, we must make sure that we are not acting or speaking in ignorance. Do we truly know what's going on, not only on the surface, but at the heart level? The word of God penetrates the heart, the heart of others, but also our own heart. What are our fears in the situation? Don't be afraid of the ringleader or the crowd. They do not speak the truth. They don't know what they're talking about, and they serve self-interest. We serve the Lord, the eternal God of the universe. The ringleader and the crowd certainly can do damage, and the authorities may blow it, but we are more right to fear the Lord with reverence and awe at what he can do and to know that the word of God penetrates the heart. So what does Paul say to the crowd to the ringleaders, to the authorities? What does he say to get to the heart of the matter? Well, that's what we're going to see next week and in the coming weeks. Paul was put on trial, but he knew those who were standing with him. And we'll read about them in the chapters to come. We'll also read about those who abandoned Paul. So he knew the difference. In fact, Paul's last letter that he ever wrote, 2 Timothy, concludes with a list of people who deserted him. Those who harmed him, who betrayed him but also those who continued to stand with him. Perhaps in your situation, you are the one that God is calling to be the spokesperson, but to have those who stand with you. Perhaps you're not chosen to be the spokesperson, but to stand closely with the one who is. Either way, you're with a group who is not a crowd, but Christians standing together. Your teachers, administrators, at school would be shocked to have a group of Christians carefully, wisely, and lovingly approach them. Your manager, your boss, the CEO would be shocked to have a well-reasoned, respectful request brought forward. Your government leaders listen to politicking all the time. It sounds dramatically different to hear from those who approach them differently. And church history gives us great examples. We will soon celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, perhaps the greatest of examples. It was on October 31st, 1517, that Martin Luther tacked the 95 Theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. 
And in the brief introduction at the top of the 95 Theses, Martin Luther wrote this. Out of love for the truth and from desire to elucidate it, the Reverend Father Martin Luther, Master of Arts and Sacred Theology, an ordinary lecturer therein at Wittenberg, intends to defend the following statements and to dispute on them in that place. Therefore, he asks that those who cannot be present and dispute with him orally shall do so in their absence by letter. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Martin Luther didn't come with a mob. He didn't attack. He politely posed some thoughtful questions. In fact, he wrote them in Latin, the academic language, so that there could be shared, thoughtful conversation together. It was in God's providence that someone pulled down the 95 Theses and translated it into the vernacular and then copied and distributed it. And so a revolution began. The crowd was sometimes helpful, but usually a distraction. The Reformation was at its best when people joined together, respectfully defending, not out of self-interest, but to the glory of God. They didn't pursue power and position. They exalted the God who already has power and position. We can't seek changes in our school, workplace, or community out of self-interest, but in the interest of helping others to flourish, all others. We want to see drug dealers flourish, not in their drug dealing, but as redeemed contributors to society. We want to see addicts, the unemployed, the underemployed flourish, not in entitlements, but as redeemed contributors to society. We want to see ringleaders flourish, not as power mongers, but as redeemed contributors to society. We want to see the crowd flourish, not in shouting, but as redeemed contributors to society. We want to see authorities flourish, not in authoritarianism, but as redeemed contributors to society. We want to see the church of Jesus Christ flourish, not in power and control, but as redeemed contributors to society. Let us be fellow builders of the kingdom of Christ to the glory of God and the redemptive advancement of God's world. And indeed, may the truth set us free. Amen.